If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are studying the Sermon on the Mount and um, making our way through it. A couple of the things to consider as we as we go as we try to sum up what this great sermon is about um, it can be summed up this way lessons on the kingdom of heaven we talked about how John the Baptist when he came on the scene the message that he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and when our Lord began his ministry that's the way he began his ministry, by saying, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see our Lord uh, engaged in this great sermon here that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 5. And as he begins in the, what we have deemed the Beatitudes, there in verse 3 of chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So really, uh, this whole sermon here, what What ties it all together is the idea of the kingdom of heaven. And so we can use that as a way to outline um, this sermon. And what we were talking about last week, and we'll finish up this week, is the citizenship uh, or the citizens of the kingdom. And we see that here in the first 16 verses of Matthew 5, speaking about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom. And then after that, the, the middle part of the, really the good chunk of the rest of the sermon is talking about righteousness within the kingdom. And then our Lord having laid that out, having talking about the individuals of the kingdom, and then talking about the righteousness within the kingdom, then at the end there's a plea to enter into the kingdom. There's a plea to enter into that narrow gate that leads to life. So, As I said, we're going to finish up this evening. Just a few thoughts here as we finish up this first section um, about the citizens of the kingdom. And we're going to talk tonight about the salt and the light. And we read about the salt and the light here in verses 13 through 16. So let's, let's read these few verses here and then we'll make some application. Uh, talk about a few things and some expectations uh, of citizens of the kingdom. So... In verse 13, beginning, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So these few verses here we'll look at tonight. I'm talking about the salt and the light. And really it comes down to is that a Christian uh, has a duty in this world. This is what our Lord is getting at, that there are responsibilities, there's a duty that we have as Christians. And he uses these two examples here about the salt and the light to talk about the expectations of those duties, of us as Christians, of us as citizens in the kingdom. 
Let's first talk about the salt. It says there in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. We've probably heard that uh, expression a lot in your life, haven't you? Um, sometimes you just describe people, oh, well, you know, they're, they're salt of the earth kind of folks. What our Lord t- is talking about here is usefulness. It says, if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? Now, there's things that the salt is used for. It's used in the curing uh, process. Um, and obviously, it's used in seasoning food. And that's what our Lord is talking about here because he mentions the fact of, of it being tasteless. So he's talking about the usefulness in improving the taste of food. And our Lord has a couple other examples in Scripture that he talks about this. One of those is in Mark chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. He says, For everyone who will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. He says, Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. In the same, in the same way here, our Lord is talking about usefulness. He's talking about the flavor that salt gives. And he says there, salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will you season it? Usefulness is what he's talking about. Also over in Luke chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, our Lord says salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how will it be seasoned? Sounds familiar, right? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has an ear, let him hear. So this, again, speaks to the usefulness. Speaks to the idea that if it's lost its seasoning, if, if salt is not being used in that way to season food, what's it good for? And it's not. It's not good for anything, just to be thrown out. So what does that mean to us? It means that being a citizen of the kingdom requires being useful. The Beatitudes have spelled out these states of blessedness. And now it's kind of a rubber hits the road kind of thing. Blessed are these who have these certain qualities, but now let's start talking about usefulness. Let's put these qualities and these characteristics into use. Being useful in the kingdom. One thing about uh, salt is that only impurities or dilution makes salt unsalty. You know, salt is a very simple compound. It's one of the simplest ones in the world. That's why the oceans are salty. (laughs) It's a very simple compound. So salt really doesn't lose its saltiness only through impurities, only through dilution. You know, if you take a, uh, just a, a little bit of salt and put it in a glass of water and you stir it up, you probably won't even hardly taste that salt. But if you take that same amount of salt and put it in a very tiny bit of water, it's going to be very salty, isn't it? So the dilution makes it unsalty. Impurities will make it unsalty. What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to keep our lives free from impurities. We need to be pure. If there's a usefulness about the salt that that our Lord is stating here, and that salt needs to be pure, it needs to be as undiluted as possible, what does that mean for us? It means we need to keep ourselves pure. We need to be in as pure a state as we can be, so that we're what? So that we're useful. And so 
the, the image carries through. If we're diluted through um, cares of the world, um, a disregard for, for learning in Scripture, those things dilute us. And what happens then? We become useless. And we're just thrown by the roadside, thrown away. Same thing with impurities. If there's something that, that, that adds into us, whatever that might be, then we're not that pure form of salt that our Lord's looking for. We become tasteless. You can't tell what the salt is. It's just mixed in amongst all other things. So the idea is here to keep ourselves pure. And otherwise, like we said, otherwise it's just thrown out. It's no of use. It's of no use in the kingdom if it's become unsalty. It's been diluted. It's been impure. It ha- it's, it's, been, uh, its purity has been diluted. Understand that what we're talking about here also is, is that we can, lose our, we can lose our citizenship in the kingdom. There's those in the world that, that preach the idea and teach the idea of once saved, always saved. That once you come under uh, the law of Christ, that you can never be lost. And scripture doesn't back that up. Scripture says the opposite. Places like Galatians 5 and verse 4 Paul says, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. The scripture is replete with ideas about falling from grace. Why else are all these letters from Paul and Peter and others, why why else are they written? They're written because brethren's faith is under constant attack. And brethren are susceptible to losing their faith. That's why these letters were written, to encourage them and to build them up and to let them know that they indeed can fall from grace. They can become severed from Christ. Those Galatians, the Galatians there that Paul was talking about, they were trying to hold on to parts of the law. He says that you've been severed from Christ if you're trying to do that. So salt has usefulness. The other part of this is the light. In verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor, men, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket or a peck measure. In light here, we see the same thing as salt, that there's a usefulness about it. With the light, it illuminates. So we have salt that, that flavors the food, and we have light that illuminates within that house that our Lord is speaking about here. The city set on a hill, we think about that as a beacon, don't we? Someone traveling from afar off can see that light from that city set on the hill. In our own little world here, we think about lighthouses, don't we? How ships at sea can see those lighthouses and can navigate and can keep themselves from running aground. The light has a purpose, it has a usefulness. Let's understand this as we're talking about it. John makes it very, very clear in his gospel, he says there in chapter 1 and verse 9, that Jesus is the true light. He talks about how the light came into the world, illuminating mankind. Jesus is the true light. So when we talk about us being lights, we need to understand our place in this and not put ourselves 
so high as to, as to displace the true light in the world, which is Jesus Christ. And I think we'll, the best way that I can come up with this and, and de- demonstrating this is it's a light that shines through us. Let me have a scripture here that'll kind of bear that out in just a second. But one thing we've got to keep in mind here, and what's what are the point our Lord is making here, that lights are to be seen. They're not hidden. That one in the house doesn't, doesn't light the light and then put it under a basket. That's not doing any good. It's not lighting up the house. If you have a lamp in your, in your house and you put a, a big heavy shade over it that just blocks out all the light, what's the purpose in having the lamp? There's a purpose to the light, and they're to be seen, and they're to illuminate those things that are around them. There's the usefulness. They're not to be hidden, but they are to shine. And our Lord talks about here how our lights are to shine to the glory of God. If you look down there in verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the light that's shining that we can think about as shining through us, it's meant to glorify God. Not glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. And I thought about this scripture as we were talking about this, and I think this illustrates the point of, of the light shining through us. Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This hits to the point that I'm making here that Paul says, I'm not living uh, my life to the flesh. It's Christ that lives in me. So when I think about this light, I think about that. It's the light that shines through us. Jesus is the true light. We are to be that that vessel through which the light shines so that we can be those, uh, those beacons, that light that shines and illuminates the house. That's the usefulness that we're talking about. A couple of points about this that I want to make also. There in verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Now this deserves a little bit of, um, a little bit of exploring. So the idea of, of letting, your li- letting your light shine so that, so that men can see your works. Does that mean that we do things to impress other people? Does it mean that the opposite side of that? Does it mean that we close our doors, so to speak, when we come in here to worship and, and shut out the outside world? That's kind of the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? And that's not the answer either. So there has to be a balance that we strike in here. So this idea of, uh, of doing things so that we cannot be seen at all, so that we come in and close the doors, this, this rules out this closed-door worship. We can't do it that way. How else is our light going to shine if we close all the doors and the windows and pull the, the, the shutters tight? Now, I understand we have blinds in here to block out the sun from coming in and, and to keep our, uh, our focus inside the building. 
But we can't just come in and close the doors to the outside world, nor in our own lives can we do that. Can we just shut ourselves off to the outside world? We have to be that light that shines. But what about passages like chapter 6 here in Matthew and verse 1? It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So this is the conundrum that we have. So we can't close the doors to worship. We have to welcome everyone in. But at the same time, we can't be practicing our righteousness before men. So how do we balance those things? And I think the answer lies within this verse itself. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. The attitude, the motivation that we have is what's important. If we're doing things, um, whether it's worship, whether it's in our lives, whatever that might be, if we're doing them to be noticed by men, we need to be careful. What does our Lord say? Beware. He goes on there, and we'll get to this obviously um, a little later on. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Verse 2, he says, When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. He goes on to talk about fasting and other things that when you do these things, you need to be doing them not to glorify yourself and not to be seen by men, but to glorify God. In the passage here in verse 16 back in chapter 5, he says to do it in such a way, in such a way to let your light shine so that you bring glory to your Father. So there's a balance that we strike here, and the balance is that we do the things that we've been prescribed to do. And we open our doors to all who want to come in, and then we quietly and orderly and reverently do the things that God has prescribed for us to do. And if men notice it, great. But we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it to glorify God. We're doing it because we've been told to do it. I think about also another example of praying in a restaurant. Some people say you, you shouldn't do it because you're just bringing glory to yourselves, that you're doing it to be noticed by men. There's a balance that can be struck there, isn't there? To quietly and reverently bow your heads to, to pray at a restaurant is perfectly acceptable. Now, if you were to stand up and, and hold up hands and make a big spectacle of it, then you're doing it to be noticed by men. And there's where the line is drawn. You quietly, reverently bow your heads and pray at a restaurant. That's perfectly fine. Because you're not doing it to be noticed by men. You're doing it to give glory to God. And if those, the wait staff and others in the restaurant see you doing it, I think David has a story about, about being seen. Not that they were doing it to, to bring uh, anything upon themselves, but they just quietly, reverently bowed their heads and prayed. And someone came up to them afterwards and said something to them and appreciated that they did that. So that's where we draw the line. We're doing it for the right reasons. Inherent in all this is the idea that, that we are to be good examples to those of us around us. Several passages we can look at. We'll look at a few here. 
In Philippians 3 and verse 17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern. It's okay to look around and see others who are practicing righteousness. Pattern yourselves after them. If they're practicing the righteousness that God has prescribed, that's perfectly fine. We talked about not too long ago the church in Antioch that we find throughout the book of Acts and the good work that it was doing. That's a good example for us. We can look at these Philippians and see the good example that they were. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, as Paul is instructing the young evangelist here in, the, in his duties as a preacher, he says there in, in, in verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, uh, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So it wasn't just that Paul is commending Timothy to the reading of Scripture and the teaching and to all those things that a, that a, a minister, that a preacher should do. But he also says to show yourself as an example. You're not doing it. Uh, just for the sake of doing it, go into your office and, and, and close the doors and, and never seen by anyone, no one knows what you're doing. You do it so that others can see the example of what you're doing. And it will come out. For Timothy, it will come out in his preaching and his teaching. And that's an example to others. And I love this example of a wife and a husband that Peter talks about here in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if uh, any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. There's an example within the most intimate relationship in the, in, that we have in this world, a wife and a husband. And Peter is saying here that you wives... Keep following after the things that are right. And if your husband is, is disobedient, he'll observe your chaste and respectful behavior and perhaps be won back. But that's an example of living righteously and being an example to, to others. As we close, let's recap a little bit what we talked about the salt and the light. We are to be useful in the kingdom. Jesus used these two examples here, these few verses about salt and light. We are to be useful in the kingdom as salt improves taste. Things taste better with salt, don't they? I know the doctors tell us to, to limit that, right? It's not necessarily good for our health. In, in small doses, it's, we can take it. And it improves the taste. It has a usefulness. Same way with light. Light illuminates. In a dark room, the far off, if we're looking to get to some place, we see the lights afar off. They have a usefulness. And others are to see our good works. As we said, the, the motivation here is key. We're not doing these things to be seen by men, but we are to do them in such a way that men see them. 
and we give the glory to God. The motivation is important. And it's not to our own glorification. We don't do these things to, 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 to be boastful, to be prideful. We do them because it's the light shining through us, that we are the vessel for it. And we are to be ultimately an example of those around us. As that wife is to her husband, as the, the other Christians are to, to other Christians, there's the example that are, that are there. If they're doing right, if they're practicing righteousness, if they're zealous for the Lord, that's a good example. Follow that. I'll leave you with this one last passage. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You see the, the pattern here. You see the, tra- the transgression. You became imitators of us and the Lord. And as a result, you then became an example to those in Macedonia and Achaia. Have you thought about it in, this ter- in these terms? If we have a lot of visitors that come through our little congregation here. What kind of an example are we being to them? Do they go away from here and, and talk about the, the group there in Cortez and how they're standing for the truth? how they're engaged in, in a righteous work and, and, and zealous for the Lord. That's the kind of report we want to be going out. That's the kind of example we want to set to others in the world. Salt and light. Usefulness in both. Our Lord speaks of it so eloquently. And there's the warning here that is so prevalent. If salt becomes tasteless, it's just thrown out. We don't need to become tasteless. We need to be useful. And we do that by keeping ourselves pure, by not being diluted, not being um, uh, corrupted by this world, but rather keep ourselves pure. If you're here tonight and you need prayers of the congregation as a child of God, perhaps you're not a child of God. I would encourage you to become one so that you can be a citizen of the kingdom. And enjoy the blessings that are there. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.